Welcome to Global Answers. Please join us as we discuss the relevance of God's eternal word relating to events in this day and what it means to you. And now, your host, Lonnie Jenkins. Hello, friends. Welcome to another session of Global Answers. I have a special privilege the next probably three or four sessions to speak to you individually. I'm not planning on having any guests in the studio with me. I want to talk to you about probably one of the most controversial subjects out of scripture or religion, and that is the Godhead. Is there one? Is there two? Is there three? Is there many? That's going to be our subject for today. The big question would be, are there many gods? Is there only one God, or is that one God somehow divided? And I want to make this clear that such points as these could not be known in previous ages. The Bible shows us clearly that, that it's to be a mystery saved till the time of the end. Revelations 10:7 tells us, during the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God, should be finished as he's declared to his servants, the prophets. So consequently, it was an unknown thing until this age. Many have probed at it. Many have studied it. Many speculations have come. And so we're not trying in any way to put down what people have always believed or previously believed. That's not the idea. The idea is that we want to share with you what God has done in this age in unveiling scripture. So in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, that would, of course, be the same angel that is the messenger to the last church age. In Revelations 3.14, it says, under the angel of the church of Laodicea. That's the seventh church, seventh Gentile church. And as we've told you before, these churches, though literal, are actually symbolic of ages to come. And we're in that final age, that Laod Laodicean age. You can read about these in Revelations chapter 2. And chapter 3, the term angel merely means messenger. It can be a super, supernatural being. It can be just a man with a message sent from God. And so we see that this mystery of God is reserved until this unveiling is to take place in the voice of the seventh angel. So keep in mind, we're not trying to put down previous teachings or what your church taught or what the old-time churches taught. That's not the issue. The issue is God has done something new, and we just want to share with you what God has done in, in this age. So just before the second coming of the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, God has graciously sent us a thus saith the Lord on many biblical things, points that are essential to our faith in preparation for the next really big event in God's program, which is the resurrection and the rapture or the catching away or the meeting in the air, as is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, verses 15 to 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this age is required to have a faith unlike any previous age before because no other age has had to believe for a change in their body. The meeting in the air, the rapture, and uh, we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of eye, as Corinthians 15 says. That's all the same event. The change throws us into contact with the next dimension. And so this is the first age that's, that has to have the faith to believe for that. So consequently, a very special message had to come, a very pure word 
to bring a very pure faith to prepare a people for this second coming, this body's change. So the series that we are embarking on today will last the next few meetings. I'm not quite sure uh, how many sessions we'll have together, but I'm guessing we'll go probably another two or three uh, at a minimum. So we'll speak of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, as the scripture refers to him. Is he one? Is he two? Is he three? We look at various scriptures and we can see how the people could draw conclusions. In Deuteronomy uh, 32, 39, it says, See now that I, even I am he. There is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand, for I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. That's God speaking. God spoke through his prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. So when a God declares that he alone can tell you the future and holds the future, there is no God except the God of the Bible that does those things. Because he holds the future, he can tell you what the future will be. And so he declares that what makes him the outstanding God of all the things that people might call gods. Moses wrote under the inspiration of God in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So when we look at that, our conclusion would obviously be, it seems there is one God. But then we go into the Psalms and we listen to David in Psalms 110.1, and it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And that's, of course, if we break it down just a little bit, that's the Lord, Jehovah, said unto my Lord, Adon. Now, this, this word Adon is used in reference to kings, to men, to God, to masters, rulers, husbands, prophets, princes, governors. Then, then sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. It could be that we can draw, draw the conclusion there are two gods. And then now we jump into the New Testament in Matthew 3.16, 3, when Jesus went down to be baptized by the prophet John, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Listen now. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So now in these scriptures we see Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, and the Father speaking from heaven. Now, what's our conclusion now? It almost looks like there's three. And yet, when we go back to Moses' writings, the Lord our God is one God, then we know, we know that there has to only be one. So consequently, many say, oh, he's three in one. And some say, he's three persons, yet one God. Some say he's three like water. And in various stages, water can be liquid, water can be solid and be ice, water can be powerful like steam. 
and yet all three forms are still water. Could it be that God has appeared in many forms? Some people say that God, there are three manifestations or offices of God in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We often hear the term Trinity. That actually is not a scriptural word. It's not in the Bible, Trinity. According to the New International Encyclopedia, the term Trinity was originated by a Roman Catholic father named Tertullian. And then looking further into the Ecole Glossary, it says Tertullian was the first one to use the term Trinitus, which is Trinity, to describe the Godhead. But of course, that goes on to say, in so doing, he paved the way of the development of the Orthodox Trinitarian or Christological Trinitarian doctrines. And this was in about A.D. 200, a good 150 years after the forming of the Christian church in the book of Acts at Pentecost. God declares through his prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 45:22, Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth, in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. So there is a God that swears he is an absolute and one day everyone will know it. Right now, this is called the day of man. There's great debate about God. Some saying there is no such thing as God or a supernatural being as a Godhead. But those who believe know there is and many have had an experience to meet that personal God. Now this subject is not merely theology, <clears throat> excuse me, and not just for our better understanding. And here's why. Proper understanding is essential. Hold on to this now. We don't know where it is God is taking us unless we understand about God and Christ. How do we know how to get to a place unless we know what the goal is? The scripture says in Romans 8, 29, that we are promised to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this conforming to the image of Christ. So what is our destiny as believers? To be conformed or fashioned like unto God's son. So what would that be? Many try to make it simple and say, oh, that's just to be like Jesus. But again, we have a question because now they're thinking about Jesus of Nazareth. Yet that Jesus of Nazareth said to the Father in John 17, 5, Now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Jesus was more than just the man born of the Virgin Mary. Before the foundation of the world, he had a glory that was God's glory. Now we'll see how that was as we continue in this study. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea, and did all meet, excuse me, eat the same spiritual meat. Here comes the verse now. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock 
that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So now we have Jesus of Nazareth declaring that he had a glory that was God's own glory before the foundation of the world. We see that he was with uh, the children of Israel as that rock in the, in the wilderness. So this conforming to that image is still is just a little bit uh, mysterious. We've got to be conformed to that image. Paul writes similarly in he, to the Hebrews church in 11, chapter 11, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So here's Moses long before Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Here's Moses willing to stand the reproach of Christ. Remember, we're to be conformed to this image. So we see from many scriptures that Christ was in existence before he came into flesh. We'll understand that in this series. Now, another part of this puzzle called the Godhead. John wrote in chapter 1, verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So Adam was also a son of God, but he was created, not begotten. So Jesus, the only begotten Son. Now Luke writes, God is a spirit. So now how can a spirit God have a flesh son? We've all heard about the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we go through the scriptures and we find the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, and the book of Acts declares that the church of God was purchased by God's own blood, Acts 20, 28. But of course, that's not too difficult to understand in one sense, the blood of every father is in his child, not mother's blood. The father's blood is in his children. In the womb, the baby is fed by the mother's blood, but there's a separating veil in there to keep the mother's blood from becoming the child's blood. At birth, only the father's blood is in that child, and the life of that child is in that blood cell. The life is in the blood cell. Keep that in mind. We're gonna need that fact as we go further along. It's important when, in this series, we reach Calvary and the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to see how important it is that we know whose life was in that blood cell that was broken at Calvary. So now let's gather our scriptures directly related to our study. You can read with me there on your television screen. First, we will look at creation. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So somewhere, at some point, God declares a beginning. For God himself, there was no beginning. He's eternal. Eternal has no beginning and no end. So in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You'll understand that by the time we finish this series. The same was in the beginning with God. 
a second person or some other understanding. We'll see that as we go in this series. Now here's how it ties to Genesis. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So now in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Now we find in John that he made that creation by the word. So God created in Genesis, the word created in John. And then in Ephesians 3, 9, it says that God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So here we have our first significant point in the study of the Godhead. God created by the word and the name of that word is Jesus Christ. In Revelations 19, 13, it says his name is called the word of God. That's not his name, but he's called the word of God. But his name is Jesus. Now in Colossians 1.15, you can read starting above this, but we'll start there. It's speaking about Jesus Christ. And it says in Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So this invisible God is beginning to become visible and declare himself through Christ. Christ becomes the image. And then it says the firstborn of every creature. So that goes back far beyond the birth out of the Virgin Mary. That goes back before there was a, a rooster or a hen or an elephant or a lion or a human. It goes back even before that. So before there was any creature, he was the firstborn. So now we find out how was he the firstborn to become the manifestation of the invisible God. I'll give you just a simple thought on that. A word is a thought expressed. When we speak a word, it becomes an expression of my invisible thought. So God, with his great thinking, desired expression. And out of the thoughts of God came the word. And then <clears throat> Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, this dimension or other dimensions, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. Here comes an important part now. All things were created by him, that's Christ, and for him. By him and for him. We many times want to get ourselves in the picture there and, and want it created for us. It isn't. It's all for God. If we go back and just study the name of Jehovah and the name of Elohim or the name of Adonai, we find that those Hebrew names for God all boil down to the self-existing one who reveals himself. And that's what we're studying now. This self-existing one, this invisible one desires to reveal himself. He wants to be made known. Now back to Colossians 1 verse 17. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That's what Christ's position is to be to the believer. Everything we talk about, everything we live for, everything we know about is to be Christ, the focus of our life. 
Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All fullness. In Colossians chapter 2, it says he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So when the Godhead, what do we term the Godhead? That's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So all of those entities were in this man called Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Such a mystery. How can all of God be in a man? We'll find out as we continue in our study. So we can see from these scriptures that the mystery surrounding the invisible God is revealed and through, revealed in and through Christ. Or to put it in another way, Christ is the mystery of God revealed. We have a book on that very subject and that's the title of it. Christ, the mystery of God revealed. You can go to onto our website, which may be on the screen right now, but if not, we can put it on, we'll put it on at the end of the screen and you'll see that the book will be available to you. Christ is the mystery of God revealed. Now let's go into this same subject with some graphics and some illustrations. And we are told by researchers that we remember much greater portion of what we see than actually what we hear. So we're wanting to move now to a visual image so that you can see more about God and we'll just barely get started. Our time is almost up. We told you that God is invisible, but we have to show something on the screen rather than an invisible God. So this light that you see on the screen represents the invisible God. And in that invisible God were certain attributes, desires, things that were in him. You remember in Colossians 1, it says everything was created by him and for him. So it was in him to be a judge. It was in him to be a redeemer. And if you think of each one of these, that if he wants to manifest this attribute to us, then if he's going to be a redeemer, someone has to be lost he wants to be believed. We find that Adam and Eve stepped away from belief. We find the early church stepped away from belief. The, the Jewish church stepped away. That's when then God turned to the Gentiles. Now he's working with us. He, in him is to be a healer. Someone has to be sick. In him is to be a guide. Someone has to be lost. In him is to be a family. Catch that. He's not going to create a family. God is going to be a family for he's sharing his own eternal life. So God in his family, we can read about that in the Corinthians 15 again. He wants to be a comforter. So consequently, somebody has to be uncomfortable to need a comforter. He wants to be a husband. So there has to be a bride. And we find that's the Gentile church. He wants to be a savior. Someone has to be lost. He wants to be a deliverer, counselor, provider, creator, father, king. God, shepherd, trusted, and oh so much more. So therefore, out of the mind of this great God comes a, a plan, an unveiling, through which we can learn more about him and learn about this invisible God. So he makes a way for us to see this invisible God. Now, out of God, as he begins to manifest himself, out of God, the materialization of God's thoughts comes this term in the Bible called the Logos. So the mind of God, the attributes of God are now going to be expressed in 
word form, this logos that comes out from God. And we see this little, looks like DNA floating around inside of this logos. That's representing the attributes of God that are now, that, that now they've moved out of thought form, coming into expression. And then in moving into this expression, we find that this logos is Christ. And even the uh, dictionary definitions and concordances will tell you the same. Christ, a theophany, a body for Jehovah, it is the anointing. This is the Son in a prefigure. Remember, Father, let them see me with the glory that I had with thee before the world was. So the Logos is Christ. It's the anointed word. Here we got the Strong's Concordance definition down there. Logos equals something said, including the thought. And that part's important. The Logos, something said, including the thought and that the divine expression, which is Christ. So if we take God's word, but change the thought, we find that this attribute of God is no longer logos. And now the logos of God is likened unto the germ that's in a seed, in that the germ is what produces what the seed should reproduce. So the thought of God placed into the word of God if not perverted, will produce what God had in his mind. But if we take that same word and add a different thought to it than what God had in his mind, then the word can't produce what it's supposed to produce. The classic example of that, God calls his word a seed. And every seed, Genesis 1.11, has the ability to bring forth of its own kind. God's word is a seed. So if we hybrid a natural seed, we mix it with something else, now the end product is not uh, easily determined. The hybrid product can now produce an offshoot mixed with the original, but not bringing forth after its own kind. And I fear, friends of mine, that all through the ages, man has concocted many things that have been injected into the Word of God to hybrid it, and that's why we don't see produced by the church of the living God what God is calling for because it has an injection into it of man's thoughts, man's creeds, man's dogmas that has killed the effect of the Word of God so we do not see Christ on display as we ought. Come back with us next session, friends. We're going to continue on this. God bless you. Please take the time to send a note telling us what you think of the program, topics you'd like to see covered, or what God is doing for you. To receive a DVD of today's program, The Godhead Explained, or the book, Christ is the Mystery of God Revealed, write to us at Global Answers, 1695 Stewart Road, Lima, Ohio, zip code 45801 in the USA. Or visit us on the web at globalanswers.us. Thank you for joining us. May our Lord Jesus Christ richly